0: Jenica is going to read the scripture and pray for us, uh, and then we're going to jump right into the text. So take it away.
1: All right, we're going to be in Acts 11, reading 19 through 26, and then we're going to hop over to Acts 13 and read 1 through 3. All right, starting in Acts 11. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barbarus came to Tisus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." And then Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, on who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrach, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. If you guys will bow your heads and pray with me. Um, Hey God, I just thank you so much for tonight and for this time for us to be together. God, I just thank you so much that you have given us your word and just the ability to be able to learn and um, just grow. And God, I just ask, would you fill this room with your Holy Spirit? Would you just open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say? God, would you just provide us with understanding and conviction from this message tonight? God, I thank you for John, and I just ask, would you just speak through him, and would you just, um, yeah, reach all of us exactly where we need to be right now? And, um, yeah, God, I just thank you so much for what you've done for us and for how you've sent Jesus to die for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you. All right. Hey, good evening. Yeah, I'm back. Someone who's like that guy. I was at a fall retreat here. Some of you were like he'll never come back. Um so I brought a shirt. I only brought one shirt because I'm an idiot and I forgot a bunch of other shirts. Um and if you come to the leadership meeting after this I think I think Rudy's going to give the shirt away. I hope he gives it away to someone that actually said doors, not wheels, because <laughs> if the multiverse is real, doors would be great because then you could go in a lot of different places. I think Rudy was thinking way too small. But anyway, um, I'm from my family and I drove in from Ames. But don't be contemptuous toward me because I'm not from Iowa State. I'm from Baton Rouge, LSU, where we share a common enemy, right, so we're not in the tournament either, but our coach was a cheater, and he got fired, and cheaters never win, so there you go, Um, that's, (laughs) yeah, so I get, hey, I know you guys, if y'all gotten to know the Japan team, you're excited for them, because if you've been around them, you know they've been waiting for a while to get overseas, and we are so thankful that this day has finally come, I think Doc's is thankful, because they were trying to They ran out of excuses for ways to use them. So now they're like, go, please. So they're getting to go to Japan. And instead, the team that's coming from here is going to Indonesia. So my wife and I are going to be in Indonesia with the team this summer, helping lead that. So we're excited. Um, And so if you're part of that team afterwards, I don't know if Rudy sent the message out, but stick around and we're going to talk. So I think the slide's going to come up. We're starting a new series. It's called Gospel Change. I know it's super creative because your last series was called gospel truth. That's right. All right, we got a word change in there. So gospel change, and the whole series, guys, is going to be on the church in Antioch. So we just read about this church, and what's incredible is that this becomes the most significant church in the New Testament. Everything shifts from Jerusalem to this church. And you saw some of the things that are happening right here. And even the circumstances by which this church is born is incredible. There was a guy named Stephen who was preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. He gets arrested, he, he's put on trial and he continues to proclaim that Christ is everything. And they take him outside the city and they stone him. They murder him. And one of the men that are there murdering him is a guy named Saul who would later become the apostle Paul. And because of that the entire church in jerusalem is being persecuted and it says they're scattered throughout the empire and some of the believers who were scattered who were running for their lives come to antioch and they start to preach the gospel they start to tell not just jewish people but gentiles who have no faith background in in the god of the bible they start to tell them that jesus is lord and the lord god is with them and the numbers get added to the church and so there's so many different things that you're going to see over the next few weeks as they take apart different significant parts of this healthy church but tonight i want us to look at one big question how did this gospel change happen in this community like what made this church so significant and such as a key part of sending paul and barnabas and so many others to plant churches all over the world and I think what you're going to see is that in this community, as you start to read about it the next few weeks, you're going to notice something that we all are going to be drawn to. This is a community where people know each other and practice love with one another and live for something bigger than all of themselves. This, this is a community where people are known, loved, and move towards something significant. That is something we all gravitate toward, Right? we want to be known we want to be loved and we want to be a part of something bigger than than all of us so what's the key to that type of community how is this church that type of community and it's going to be found in this simple idea around the ministry of exhortation this idea of exhortation or encouragement is going to be the soil by which everything else in this church grows so we're going to look at it simply we're going to say we're going to ask the question what is it what is this ministry why is it so important and then why is it so hard And then finally, we'll see, how does Jesus change us so we can start to practice it, okay? So what is this ministry of exhortation? If you're looking at your phone or your Bible, you can see it again. We'll read just a couple parts of it. In verse 19, it says, Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Um, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So this is the first moment of growth, right? And then it says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, when Barnabas came, he saw the grace of God. Can you put yourself in his shoes for a moment? What would it have been like to be Barnabas and to show up in the city and to see the grace of God? Like to see the grace of God. We read a word like that in does it just pass over us? Like he shows up and he sees the goodness and the mercy and the power and the presence of God changing lives. And it says he was glad. <laughs> yeah, he was glad. That's an understatement, right? He was glad because he saw God changing people. And then, and then here it is. It's so key. And it's, you could miss it. It says he exhorted them. He, uh, maybe if you have a different translation, it may say he encouraged them. If you have an old, if anyone's reading from the King James Version, I want to meet you afterwards. But, oh, and what does it say? What's the, I'm, yeah. Does it say beseech? Okay, well, all right. So there are some versions that say there's an old English word that says he beseeched them. That's a great one, but no one knows what it means. So it says he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So what is that? What does that mean he exhorted them? Why am I making a big deal of this being the key to this entire gospel change that's coming into this church? So I don't do this a lot, but the Greek word is important. It's from a compound Greek word that is called parakaleo, parakaleo, two words, parakaleo. Kaleo means to call forth, kaleo means to call forth, to give direction, to call to action, okay? So that's that's one word, para means to come alongside and to be present. So, we get words like paralegal or a paramedic from that today. So, the ministry of exhortation is the ministry of calling people to action, calling people to holiness as you walk with them. Do you see how significant this is? It's saying, This is the way of the Lord. Let's do it together. (laughs) It's it's the ministry of preaching truth in the context of grace and gentleness and compassion. It's the ministry of being people who are committed to to what is right, but doing it always in a spirit of love. Man, that starts to change everything, right? When you see the right way to go, but you have people who are saying, let's do it together, and let's do it not in judgment, but in gentleness and compassion and grace, because we're all in this together, something starts to take place. There's a flourishing that starts to grow. And that's, that's what the ministry is that we're seeing here. That's what gospel ex- exhortation is. And Barnabas shows up and, and what's incredible is that they had already heard the gospel and, and they've believed, but he shows up and says, hey, let's keep working this out, right? So, so let's talk for a moment, why is it so important? So if that's what it is, it's the ministry of speaking truth and love, it's the ministry of calling people to holiness, but doing it through the context of mercy and love. Why is it so important to do that? Why is it such a key for the community of God to flourish? And and we'll look at it from two different angles. Let's take it from the positive side. Think of it like this. The gospel is not simply a transaction between you and God, you know, where you accept a set of beliefs or you say, okay, I see the standard of morality that you want me to live up to, and I'm going to fight really hard to be a better person. It's not just a philosophy to adhere to. The gospel is news about God saving sinners. It is, it is power because it comes to us through Jesus Christ the person. It's not a message of saying, clean your life up and God will love you. It's not saying work harder. It's not saying just accept this and then go figure the rest out on your own. It is, the, it is, a, it is a declaration that God has done everything that is necessary for you and I to be, to be made right with God. And it's something we believe and we enter into the kingdom of God. And it's something we work out every single day of our life alongside others who also belong to Jesus. And the more we work out that gospel truth in the context of love and and grace, the more we start to see the beauty of what God has done and what he declares over us to be true. That's why gospel exhortation is so imp- important for us to flourish because the gospel is not some gift that you visit once in a lifetime. It's something you visit every single day. But the great, one of the greatest gifts of the gospel is that you have a whole bunch of other people who are also on the journey with you. Because we need other people to help bring the truth of what God has done deeper into our soul What sin has done is it deceives us. It deceives us and it distorts our view of God, ourself, the world. It distorts our view of sex and money and power. It distorts our view of everything. And what the gospel does is it starts to change everything in Christ. It says you have everything you need in him. Start to work that truth down into your life so that the deceitfulness of sin that causes you to fall away from God will be pushed away and instead you will see the beauty of Christ in its place. And you'll start to become the people that God's designed you to be. So gospel exhortation is where we flourish in that because we start to work the gospel out alongside other people who practice truth and love with us. So that's the positive side of it, but think about this from from a different angle. We need like okay, I'll just do this. I need this. I need people who are committed to come into my life and to speak what is true and right, but to do it in the context of love and forgiveness. I don't know about you that could just be me maybe I'm a weirdo but I'm pretty sure I think we all need this and here's why we need it because we tend to be blind to the most self-destructive patterns in our lives the things that that hurt us the most we tend to be blindest to that's in essence what a blind spot is right It's a blind spot because you can't see it. If you're driving, you have a blind spot. When you're living, we all have blind spots. There's practices and patterns that are in our lives that distort how we view God, how we view ourselves, how we view community, how we view sin, and and what, what a community that's committed to speaking truth, but in a context of love to us will do, it will expose those blind spots so that for the first time, maybe in our entire life, we're like, oh, okay, And and let's be fair, if that's ever happened to you, and I hope it has, we rarely respond in a great way the first time, right? Because if it's a blind spot and someone brings it to us, we tend to want to fight. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, come on. That was you saying that. I didn't say that. I was air quote for you. Um, So yeah, so that's, that's, I'm just saying I didn't say anything bad. You said that. Just for clarity's sake. All right, I'm going to leave my water open. Okay, so... So that's, so. think about it, like, I mean, in my life, this has happened, it needs to happen a thousand more times. It needs to happen a million more times before I see Jesus, but it's already happened a thousand times. And it's not just people coming alongside me, calling out sin, it's, it's also people just coming into my life saying, man, can I, can I walk with you? and help you learn to follow Jesus. I remember I was 21 and I trusted Christ. And before that, man, I smoked pot every single day for four years and I was pretty good at smoking pot. And so I needed some help to figure out a new way to live. And, and man, I had a man who was a professor at LSU, who said, you know what, I wanna invest in you. I wanna come alongside you and, and, and teach you the truth and bring you into my family and bring you into rhythms of what it looks like to be a disciple. That was huge. I had others that came into my life and said, hey man, that practice that's pretty destructive i don't know if you see it i remember a few years ago my wife and i were in california and um and we were with a pastor and his wife and they didn't know us really really well but they knew us and we were having dinner with them and they took a huge bold step they said hey are you guys okay i'm like what do you mean and they were like well y'all seem off i'm like "Ooh, "Ooh, well thanks for asking um actually we had a miscarriage and we haven't told anybody and we're in a pretty significant fight right now um and it is impacting the way we're treating each other and the way we are viewing god and like they didn't they, they had a lot to lose and not a lot to gain we're not even part of their church but they like saw enough to say hey are you okay and like that was an invitation to be honest about something that was going on and to bring other people into it to help us be restored and grow like like, that's a big moment. And you know what? This is what Jesus was all about. You can see it when he was on our practicing truth and love. Like, even his opponents, this is what his opponents say about him in Matthew 22. They say, teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Oh I wish that was how people describe me. That's how, that's what his opponent said about him. And and he modeled truth, but he modeled love. He modeled truth and love in the context of deep relationships. And one of the places you see Jesus doing it all the time was around the table. If you were at the SALT conference, I think it was Austin Wadlow, he talked about the power of the table. Well, Jesus... He loved the table, man. One of my favorite favorite parts was when he walks up to Matthew, the tax collector, a man who's despised, despised in that community because he's stealing from his own people, serving the enemy, and he says, Matthew, repent and follow me. Be, Be a disciple because I came to save sick people, sinners just like you, and Matthew leaves everything and follows Jesus, and the next moment, what do you see Jesus doing? sitting in Matthew's house, at the table, eating dinner with Matthew and all of his tax collector friends. Why? Because that is Jesus's heart. Not to keep sinners at, a, at, at arm's length, but to be right there in the heart of what's going on in their lives, and then to speak love over them with the truth in it. And the religious leaders are outside the, the house judging Jesus, and he's like, I don't care. This is why I came. You, on the night before Jesus is arrested, you see Jesus spending a bunch of time just praying for this. In John chapter 17, he prays. He prays a whole chapter. He prays five, he's about to be murdered. He's about to be tortured. And he prays five verses for himself and 21 verses for you and me. And his prayer is, God, sanctify them by the truth and, and help them to be in the world, but not of the world. And help them to know the love that you've shared with me. Help them to live in that love so that the world will see that your love in them is real. He prayed for truth and love in us that's what he prayed and then as the Spirit of God comes into the church in Acts chapter 2 you start to see the early church practicing this truth and love day by day exhorting one another meeting from house to house sharing with one another teaching the word caring for each other and then in the last book of the Bible give you one more example of why this is so important we have these seven letters in revelation to seven different churches jesus is speaking to his church encouraging them exhorting them and i have to read i have to read this to you because this is amazing and terrifying at the same time it's the letter to laodicea that's a church and this is what jesus says to them i know your works. so imagine he's writing this to the church at doxa he says i know your works he says, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. <laughs> he, says, he says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And listen to this. This is their self-deception. This is their blind spot. He says, for you say, this is what the church says about themselves. I am rich. I, am, I, am, I have prospered and I need nothing. So the church says, I am rich. I am prospered. I need nothing. And he says, you're not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor blind and naked and you're like dang that's freaking harsh Jesus is it harsh to tell them that they're blind naked and poor and they don't realize it or is it harsh to to not tell them that and to let them be destroyed by it he says I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and and, in white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and and save to anoint your eyes so that you may see Listen to this, those whom I love, those whom I love, I correct and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. This is Jesus. He's not trying to judge them. He's trying to restore them. He's not saying repent so that I'll love you. He's saying repent because I do love you. You're missing the fellowship. This is the ministry of exhortation. This is Jesus doing it with beautiful truth and love. And this is what he's called us as a church, guys, to be about. So can you think of a time when someone practiced this type of exhortation or encouragement with you? Where they spoke truth to you. They did it in the context of patience and generosity and love. How did you respond? Did it help? Did it hurt? Did it hurt and then help? assume that we pro- I hope we all had those stories of someone that's come alongside us and said something that took a lot of courage but they were like hey man I'm not going anywhere or maybe just took courage to remind you of something that you should already know but you've forgotten or that you're tempted to doubt it's not always about hey this isn't it's, it's not about run from this to run to this sometimes it's just telling us the thing that we already need that we already know we need to hear again so That's what it is. That's why it's so important. Why is it so stinking hard to practice this, okay? Why is it so hard to practice this type of encouragement? One where we don't hesitate to speak truth with courage and humility. Where we don't hesitate to walk alongside people who are hurting with patient love. Why is it so hard? I think it's so hard because it's costly right it 's costly to to practice this it 's costly to be in a community like this it 's costly because it takes time and vulnerability on your part and courage it takes risk and patience and humility, and so much more and to be honest it 's quite unnatural because we rarely ever see these two things truth and love being put together in a spirit of encouragement. We rarely see it. And, and when we observe our surroundings, our culture and our family of origin stories and or even our own personalities, we rarely see this as the story. So think of our think of culture. This is I'll do this quickly. Different cultures have different ditches, right? If you're from a more traditional culture, more of a shame and honor culture, a more conservative culture, your value system tends to be, this is a stereotype, so give me grace, it tends to be, uh, marked by your duty in connection to your main relationships, to your family, to your town, to your country. If you're doing, if you're a good son, if you're a good husband, if you're a faithful country, uh, you know, a patriot, then you can, you're honored. And, and those cultures tend to be very conservative and tend to be very high on truth and low on grace. And then if you're from a more modern individualistic culture. It's already, you can already hear it in that, the modern culture tends to be high on grace and very low on truth, right? The culture, the mantra you hear often if you grew up in America in in, in this type of worldview is that, hey, you do you, you are free to be whoever you wanna be and anyone that steps in the way and tells you otherwise, they're a fool and tell them something else. So you're told to be whatever you wanna be and so it's high, high, high grace, very, very low truth. And it tends to foster very shallow and disconnected relationships. And this type of culture, when truth is dropped, it tends to be dropped from behind a computer or through a phone in some kind of bombastic way where things are, are, you know, just put out there but with very little dialogue at all. You're like, are you being harsh? I don't think so. But anyway, um, I'll be around afterwards. You can tell me. What, and then you have your families, and every family has its own story. But then we have each, we have ourselves, and we have our personalities. And if we just did the 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 Enneagram, you could probably take you can take certain um, types on the Enneagram, and you can see which one is your ditch. So I think we all pretty much tend toward one ditch, either the truth primary ditch or the grace primary ditch. Right? We tend to the grace only or the truth only. Which one are you? What's your default? Like if you're if you're honest, you're like, man, are you the kind of person who? tends to, you will not hesitate to drop truth bombs on people, and you're not worried about the fallout, you know? Like, you're the kind of person, you're like maybe an eight, an immature eight on the Instagram, and your friends love to take you to a party. You're like a cool party trick, like, hey, release her onto all the people out there, and just watch her go. Oh, man, I can't believe she wore that. Oh, my gosh, look at her hair. Oh, my, you know, it's like, boom, it's fun. It's fun for a little bit, but you don't want to really hang out with them for long. Like, are you that person, or... You can drop truth on people, but you rarely have the patience and the energy to invest in helping people fight for what you're telling them is true? Or are you kind of the love-only person? I know these are caricatures, so I know no one is one or the only, or one only, but we tend to fall into a ditch. Are you a love-only person? Like You're great at being present with people, listening to problems, offering consolation and comfort. But rarely, we speak truth or direction into those relationships. Truth-only people tend to come off like jackasses and bulldozers. If you watch The Office, I know I'm dating myself here, but you're pretty much Angela, you know? Angela, like, hey, oh my gosh, like Angela, it's like everybody knew what she, 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 you knew what she didn't like, but she's just judging everyone, but if you're a grace only kind of person, you come off like a powder puff in a coddler. And if we're going back to the office, I say you're more like Pam, like never really wanting to offend anyone. I think both of these ditches flow out of a selfish and often cowardly heart. The truth only person is too cowardly to spend the energy to serve and care for people for a person through hard seasons. And the grace-only person is too cowardly to risk looking bad or losing a friend. I know we have our natural tendencies of being quiet or being extroverted. That's not it. The quiet introvert still has a passion in, in them because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth wants you to speak that over people in your own way. Maybe it won't be loud. Maybe it'll be through a note. Maybe it'll be through a text message. Maybe it'll, it'll be just two words as opposed to Rudy or I who would use 5,000 <laughs> but but you have a voice and you have truth and and if you're the kind of person who really loves to bring truth there's still the spirit of love in you that's calling you to be quiet at times and just be present and warm with people like i think honestly both both are driven by that selfish desire that we're aware if we get into people's lives and we get into the mess We're gonna have to be vulnerable ourselves because if we start asking people, how can I help you and can I walk with you in it? They may also say, hey, how can I help you? How can I respond to your needs? And that means we have to be vulnerable and honest about where we're struggling. And so it is much easier just to be present with people but never say a word or keep people at a distance and just scream at them instead of being real and honest about our own brokenness. Have you ever been in a D group that was one or the other? Like, you know what I mean? Like a D group, a discipleship group where, man, it was pretty much a truth only group. Like I used to have a group, they called it the Fight Club. Man, it was like you, you hated going, but you knew you would be shamed if you didn't go, so you went, and you just put your big boy pants on, and you got ready to get beat up for two hours. Like all the crap, all the sin was getting out there. All the confession was happening, and it was the idea was that if we make you feel bad enough, you won't do the same crap for the next week, but it didn't seem to work. Or have you been in that group that's just all grace, like maybe sin's being confessed but there's just a big box of kleenex so that you can cry and no one says anything to challenge that you've been confessing the same sin six weeks in a row they're just all like oh we're for you or maybe sin isn't even confessed anymore because there's no energy to do that can you imagine if jesus was one or the other and he wasn't a balance Can you imagine if he was just truth-only bombs, just going out everywhere, or love-only? Put Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus with Mary and Martha in this extreme. Can you imagine him just being the truth-only guy? He walks up, he's like, suck it up, buttercup! Seriously, he's dead! But he'll be resurrected one day. You'll see him again? It doesn't, I mean, get over it. You're gonna die too. You know it. Have you dealt with your sin today? like you know it's like wow jesus i'm sorry we invited you to come you know or but what if he's like just the grace only and he's just there with everyone else crying and crying and crying and crying and hugging mary and martha but offering no truth, nothing about the resurrection the life neither one of those pictures of jesus will change the world right here's the thing Gospel culture will not flourish in this either-or setting. Gospel change will not flourish in this either we practice truth or we practice love, but we don't expend the energy to do both. Gospel culture will not, but you know what will flourish? Legalism or license. In a truth-only setting, it fosters a legalistic, soul-draining community where people are terrified terrified to be honest about their struggles because the radical mercy of god is minimized and masked behind ritual and external compliance to rules a place where there is no space for failure where it's all truth and all holiness will suck the life out of everyone because you will walk around on eggshells hoping that people don't see how big of a mess you are and some of you will be really freaking good at being good and you'll feel good about yourself and and you'll judge everyone else. And some of you will suck at being good, and you'll feel pretty crappy about yourself. And some of you, that'll just be your first five minutes of the day, back and forth, back and forth. And it's not fun, and people leave that community. But the other side, the love primarily, the love-only setting, it fosters a community of people who minimize the holiness of God and his designs for a flourishing community. And that community can talk all day about love, but there will be very little sacrifice and very little commitment to the things of God. Let me say this, and we'll flesh this out right now. You, you don't defeat sin by simply of av- avoiding sin or ignoring it. You don't, you don't defeat sin by trying to avoid it or simply by ignoring it. You defeat sin by looking at something more glorious than sin, Jesus and his kingdom. Like we are not changed because we simply try to avoid messing up or we simply ignore talking about how we're messing up. We are changed from the inside out because we see the beauty and glory of Jesus. And we see the life that he offers us that is so much greater than anything this world could ever distort or sell us. So how are we changed? How are we changed how are we changed in order to practice this? And, and, and because this type of living, this ministry and community where, where truth and love are flourishing and relationships are growing, where people are known and loved and they're a part of something significant, it's pretty special. And maybe the question is, how is Barnabas showing up practicing this? Like, how is it that he practices this ministry of exhortation? How is it that, he, that the scripture says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and faith, Do you know that in the entire book of Acts, only one person is called good, and it's Barnabas? That's <laughs> crazy. How does Barnabas show up and do this? The key is in what it says about him. Not that he's a good man, but that he's full of the Holy Spirit. That he's full of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14... This is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He's praying, he's praying for us, he's praying for the church, he's, he knows that we're worried about him leaving. He says this, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another advocate to be with you forever. Forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it never sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. So Jesus says, I'm praying that the Father will send you another advocate, another helper, the spirit of truth who will dwell with you. Okay, so here's your second Greek lesson. The The Greek word for exhortation is called perikaleo, right? To call out while you're with people. Do you know what the word means in Greek for the, for the other helper, another helper, another comforter? It's the Greek word that is called paraclete. It's the noun form of the of the verb to call out in relationship. The Holy Spirit is the minister of exhortation because he is, the, he is the other comforter, the other advocate. He He comes to us to call us out to truth, but He does it alongside us. He does it in us for love. But the fact that Jesus says, I will give you another paraclete, another helper. You should be saying, well, if that's another, who's the first, Jesus? Who's the OG encourager? Oh man, okay, well, this is what 1 John, the only time this is used of Jesus in the whole Bible is in the book of 1 John. This is what it says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have have an advocate, a helper with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a paraclete. Jesus is the original encourager. He's the ultimate picture of truth and love. It says here, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So how how is it that Jesus is our ultimate encourager? Think of this. Jesus didn't come just dropping truth bombs. He came saying, I am the truth. Man, that's crazy, no one taught like that. No one said, hey, people come and say, hey, this is truth, let it change your life. Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life. Through me, you can come to the Father. Outside of me, there's no way to the Father. So Jesus, who is ultimate truth, the source of all things that are good and holy, he did not stay away from us in heaven, just sending down these truth missiles that would just devastate our lives, but in the most incredible act of sacrifice and love, Truth was incarnated by becoming a man. Truth was wrapped in flesh to bring love into our lives in this world. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is not advice to follow. This is not rules to keep. This is a person who came down to not in one way, shape, or form to, he didn't minimize truth. He didn't compromise truth. He came as completely true, but to do it in a heart of service and love. He came to make a way for broken sinners like you and me to eat at the table with God as forgiven, holy children. We don't earn this and we can't lose it, but we can receive it by grace through faith in Christ. So guys, here's the gospel. The gospel is that we're more sinful than we care to admit, but we're more loved than we could ever imagine. Do you hear that? The gospel is that we're more sinful than we care to be honest about. right? The gospel is that we, we're more sinful, we're more broken than we care to admit, but we're more loved than we could ever imagine. That is loving truth. That is loving truth, that God is so holy that he cannot deny the fact that we are broken and we turn from him. But God's so loving that he's made a way for us to be made whole again in him. If this is not true, guys, then Jesus didn't have to die. There would be another way to fix our problems, but it is true, but instead of Jesus denying, loving, and serving us, and you know what he did? He was crushed due to the truth that we're sinners in order to show us the brilliance of God's love. And that's what, that's what makes Jesus our advocate, our helper today. So if you read the New Testament, it says that Jesus today, after he finishes work on the cross, he's at the right hand of the Father and he's serving as our paraclete, as our encourager, as our advocate. He's fighting for you and me. If anything ever comes before the Father to try to condemn us, Jesus is saying this, that's my son, that's my daughter. They are beloved, they are holy, they are accepted, they are forgiven, they are righteous, they are one with me, they are mine forever and ever and ever and nothing will change that. They are mine, I have accepted them, I have loved them, I have blessed them with everything they need. That's what he's doing. That's what Jesus is doing as our advocate. And you know what the Holy Spirit is doing on our behalf? He's taking all of that truth that Jesus is speaking over us and and all that truth that he's accomplished for us and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit right now. If Jesus speaks on behalf of us to God, the Spirit speaks to you on behalf of you the spirit lives in you and me to remind each of us all the things that are truly true about us that you are forgiven that you are loved that you do have everything you need that your true treasure is in christ and it will never perish spoil or fade that you are not the sum of what you've done today or what you haven't done today but you're the sum of what jesus has finished for all of eternity that's what the spirit of god lives in us to remind us about does that make sense that's his work the holy spirit His work is to take the truth of God deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts so the deceitfulness of sin will be exposed in greater measure and we're able to enjoy Christ and his life. So consider this. How does all of that change us so that we can actually start to practice truth and love in community? If you can be honest that you're more sinful than you care to admit, but you're more loved than you ever could imagine, you're the freest person on this planet. Because now, you don't have to posture, you don't have to have the fake it till I make it attitude that keeps you from actually being able to be vulnerable with people. You don't have to keep people at arm's length because you're like, they're not good enough, they need to work harder, because you know that all the grace that you have, you didn't deserve it, and that is what it, why it's Grace. And so you can offer that same grace to other people because that's what God gives you. And you can be bold enough to speak truth to someone, even if it costs you that friendship, because you're fighting for their eternity. You're fighting for them in a way that will one day, we hope, lead them to repentance in life. And even if they don't come back, you have the acceptance of the Father. So even if you are rejected by people, you're accepted by the one that matters. You can step into messy spaces and fight for people to get healthy because that's the only way you'll ever be healthy if other people step into your mess and stay with you. Right? Amen? I mean, college students can still say amen. Let's go. So, so let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in this practice. Let's, let's rejoice in how this can start to change everything. Man, there was a time in my life that I think I was at the lowest point and it was after I became a Christian. (laughs) It was after, I i mean, I gave you like a glimpse of what I was before, but I'm, I'm I'm in college, I'm a senior, and I'm married. And my wife, not the wife that's sitting in here, another wife, walks away from our marriage. Gets involved with my best friend. And we're both on staff at a church. I'm a youth pastor. Um, yeah it was a horrible two three four years and what's crazy is that um I think the hardest thing was the shame that I felt in the church and I felt like I was done like I loved ministry I loved missions I wanted to go and serve I was like I'm never going to be a part of that again because now I've failed in marriage and there was a man a man named Roy Robertson who um he was 80 at the time. He had been a missionary for years. And he came, and he knew me, and he said, John, God's not done with you. And in fact, he's never he's never loved you less. He's never loved you more, sorry, than he does right now in Christ. You're like, whoa! Well, that's, hey, hey those kind of pep talks work for me. <laughs> Like is that what you needed? No. He's like he cannot love you more than he does right now because of who Christ is. And he invited me. He you know what he did? He invited me to go with him on mission to China. He invited me to be part of a community, and while I was there, there were certainly people who didn't treat me with that same level of acceptance and love and and, and actually still challenged me to holiness, but this man did and it changed my life. And it changed the trajectory of my of my ministry, of my discipleship, of my preaching of my leadership, and it brought me to a woman um, that I'm married to today for 15 years, and I have two kids. Come on. Hey, and I needed people to exhort me. And it wasn't like I needed someone to come and say, hey, you're a sinner. You did all these things. I just needed someone to come and remind me that I was a child of God. And that God has always been in the business of using broken people for great things. Moses murdered a man joseph was sold into slavery after he was prideful enough to tell his family at 16 that they would worship him paul murdered a man david uh, it keeps going the lord is in the business of taking broken things and making them whole in christ because the glory is not for us the glory is for him but the way we are restored is through exhortation through people being willing to say hey i'm for you here's the truth let's go so let me wrap up with this let me just give you a few questions Is there someone right now that you know you need to have a conversation with? I mean, if you're honest, there's someone I bet in your life that you're like, man, I see the relationship that person's in, and I can see a significant blind spot because I really like her, but when she's with him, it's terrible. Or maybe it's like you just know, maybe they both are saying they love Jesus, but they're they're deeply involved sexually and it's distorting their view of so many things and no one's challenging them on it. So a question my wife and I will ask ourselves and others is this, if, you, if not you, then whom? If you are not the one to have the courage to step into that, then who will? And you can't pass the buck and say, well, someone else will do it. If you're the one that knows and you're close to them and you actually love them, pray for humility, not judgment, and go and have a hard conversation. Is there someone in your life that you need to come alongside alongside, and say, hey, do you need help? I want to share something with you that I see. Or maybe you're coming alongside someone who's just doubting the truth of the gospel, doubting the love of Jesus doubting the security they have in Christ and you don't need to rebuke them or correct them you just need to come and remind them of how rich they are in Jesus will you come alongside them and pray for them and just say hey man I want to tell you something today this is totally crazy because usually we only say things that are self-serving but I just want to tell you this today that God loves you and he's for you and you have everything you need in him and I'm not doing this to get anything from you but I wanted you to see the smile of God over you will you do that And some of you don't need to wait for someone to come have a hard conversation with you. In fact, I would say all of us need to be people who start to invite hard conversations on a regular basis. Like, let's go to people who love Jesus and who have invested us and say, hey, is there something you want to help me with? (laughs) Do you see a blind spot? I can't even sometimes know what to ask you because if it's a blind spot, it's a blind spot. So will you speak into my life? Maybe some of you are on the precipice of a huge de- decision. Maybe it's about joining leadership or maybe you're graduating, you're about to move and you're like, what am I gonna do with my life? Man, that is to be done in the in the, in the the counsel of godly people. Go and ask for help. And then lastly, some of you might be here tonight and this whole idea of that we are more sinful than we care to admit, but we're more loved than we can ever imagine, is new to you. And it's starting to stick. And you're starting to be honest with the fact that your life is lived on many things, but not Jesus. you have many passions and many loves, but Jesus is not the redeemer and Lord that you need or have had. And the invitation for you tonight is to come to him He created everything, including you, and he came to live and die and be resurrected in order to restore the life that he created you for, a life that is lived in relationship to God by grace through the faith that Jesus gives you. Will you receive it tonight? His death on the cross was not just an act of great sacrifice, it was a substitution for you and me being punished by God for eternity. Will you see that he was dying for you And will you receive his forgiveness? And will you see that he's alive today for you so that you can be resurrected to new life today? Will you receive that? And will you enter into a community that is not perfect, but is seeking to start to grow and flourish in this ministry of exhortation, a community that wants to balance grace and truth every single day for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of your growth and for the sake of the city and for the sake of the nations. Let me pray. Father, we rejoice that in Christ we have the perfect picture of truth and love, that we have the one who came not to condemn us, not to destroy us, not to be served by us primarily, but to seek and to save the lost, to serve us by laying his life down for us. I pray that tonight, Lord, we would rejoice that Jesus is our encourager, that he is our advocate, that he's our redeemer, and that we would enter into a place where we have greater appreciation and deeper repentance and more dependence on Jesus for everything. I pray, Lord, if there's a really hard conversation we need to have with somebody, that tonight you would give us the courage and the humility to enter into that conversation with just that, your spirit and your grace, with but with truth and love. I pray, Lord, if we need to invite others to speak into our life, that you would help us to do that with humility and that we would listen and that we would remember that nothing that we're struggling with defines us because Christ, you are the one that covers us. Man, Lord, we praise you for the gospel and the change it brings. May it bring such a radical change in this church, that this state and this country and this world are forever changed because of the people that come out of here. In Jesus'
1: name.